Welcome to Destination Church Belfast's weekly podcast. For more information about our church, you can find us on the web at www.destinationchurchbelfast.co.uk. You can also join us every Sunday morning at 10.30am at Mosley Pavilion. Now for the message. Holy Spirit, we, uh, we've enjoyed your presence so far this morning, but we know that uh, we do not exist for ourselves. We exist for those out there. We want to be outward looking. Lord, and we ask that in this moment, by your Spirit, that you would reveal to us those who are in our lives that are, we're missing the wood for the trees. We ask that you would show us those who we could be chatting with, uh, embracing, asking questions of, and inviting to be here. So in this moment, Lord, would you show us their faces, remind us of conversations, just show us who they are, that we would issue the invitation, whether it's 200 times or whether it's once, and they would come. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. So we want to be about that quite naturally. If somebody's come to your mind right now, I do not mind if you pick your phone out and start texting them. You work well away, okay? So you may now be seated. So poor Claire, I hadn't told her, and apologies about that. This is the last in our week on worship. Now, throughout doing this for the second time, what's clear is it should be part of our uh, annual diet that we look at this. Last year it was six weeks, this week it's, or this year it's been ten. So dear help us, what will it be next year? So we've been uh, looking at that here in our church, in this church, we want to prioritize God's presence in everything that we do. And this obviously is Dennis's message series that he dug out and I've got my hands on and we've made it ours. So we're grateful to him for that. And I hope that you find benefit. Have you found benefit? Yes. As you're all on your phones, work away. Have you found that it's caused you to look at how you worship and think, I could do that, or why don't I do that? Or my goodness, I feel really restricted. If it has caused you to consider one thing, then that one thing can be enough if you write it out and work on it and look at it with God. So we want to prioritize his presence in everything that we do. And we're discovering that worship has a destination. It is the presence of Christ among us. Psalm 22 verse 3 says, it says, You are holy, O you who are enthroned upon the praises of Israel. When we worship him in spirit and truth, he comes. And if we do not have him, why on earth are we asking people to come and join us on a Sunday morning? Because there has to be more than just us. And the vision is that we have a church where, like Dennis described when he walked into John Wimber's church, not that it's about recreating the initial stages of the vineyard at all, but it's about applying those principles. We want people to come in and go, what on earth is going on here? These people seem really nice. They're really all over me, asking me lots of questions and smiling and saying, so good to see you, wonderful to have you, but what on earth went on there? If people are coming among us and asking that question, we are beginning to do our job. When we worship him, he comes. Worship is expressed in a worship service and in how we live our lives. And a definition of worship would be the endeavor of freely giving an expression of your love to God. 
And we want to grow in our liberty of expression of worship to God. If you have found that you have not grown in your freedom in expression, but you are more frustrated than ever by your lack of expression, this message is doing its job. Worship should be unrestricted and unrestrained. And worship is your personal expression of love to God from your whole being. And then last week we looked at who receives what from worship. And God receives our love and thanksgiving for who he is, what he's done for us. And yes, he really, really, really desires our worship and our thanksgiving. He really, really wants it. And the natural byproduct for us of worshiping God is that we open ourselves up to receive whatever he has for us. It results in knowing him better. It results in powerful relations, fellowship, conformity to his will. We get separated from obstacles between us and him. And if you're anything like me, I can get a little bit down on myself at times. None of you, of course, would do that. And when you're in worship, you get called back up to who you really are. We were, Anne and I were driving through a town yesterday in a town that shall not be named. And there were those guys out in the street and they were, um, it was like a gospel meeting out in the street. And God bless them. Um, I, from what I can see, their hearts are right. That's not even mine to discern whether they're right or not. But a lot of it was focused on, you are a sinner. You haven't got it. Your life's a mess. It's going here. And yet all of those things are true. What did Jesus do when he called his disciples? You come with me and I will make you fishers of men. He called them to greatness. So we, whenever we worship him, what do you know when we say, you are good, you are the kindest person that I have ever met. I, honestly, your patience with me, I just, just thank you for who you are. And what do you know, he'll say something to you about who you are. And when he convicts you about the greatness that he has called you to, yes, convicts you about the greatness that he has called you to, He will not even need to speak to the sin that is present in your life. Somebody, I was listening to a guy talk about uh, prioritizing his presence and he spoke with such passion that in that moment I thought, wow, there's so much more for me to die to and so much complacency that I need to let go of because that's where I want to go and then some. He didn't need to say, you know, most of you don't prioritize them because really you're prioritizing other things and they mean more to you and that's your sin nature. He just needed to say, this is what's possible because this is who he is and all of that's taken care of. Yes and amen, Shirley, eh? So we want to be calling people to the greatness uh, as to who they are when we're inviting them to join us. Because what do you know, when we worship him, we find out things about ourselves that are way better news than we thought. This gospel is good news. It actually is. Sometimes when it's presented, you're like, that word good doesn't describe what you've just delivered. But what we have is good news. Yes, there's a problem. Yes, there's sin. Yes, there's habits that we've got to die to. But there's a solution, and that solution is a bridge over which we can travel to the greatness that we're called to. Okay? So if we seek first his kingdom... And his righteousness, everything else is added to us. And when we worship him, Jesus releases the kingdom upon us. And this week, in our final message on worship this year, we're looking at the presence of God and our worship of him. So what should a service be all about? And it's common in the Christian church at large to use the term worship for the worship service. 
Typical application would be prayers, preaching, offering, taking, tithe, giving, singing songs, communion, fellowship. And these things are worthy to do in a church gathering, absolutely, but they are not worship. And why are they not? Well, let me give you an example. A husband and a father provides for his wife and family house, foods, clothing, all the things that are needed. Are these things intimate love towards the wife and the family? No, no, they're not. In a healthy family, the core of their health is real and intimate relationship. There have now, I don't want to describe us like we're the Disney family because we're not at all, but there's been a couple of circumstances, especially when I worked on a Saturday, that when I was talking to the children and the Claire and I would say, how's your day going? They would say, it's really great, but we wish you were here. And you're going, oh, well, I'm quite black and white. Had to be at work. It is what it is. But oh my goodness, they really, really want me to be there. And what does that do in that moment? Well, it makes me even more so want them to enjoy what we've provided for them. But also, it makes me know that I'm wanted and that I'm eager and I'm uh, not anxious, but kind of desperate to get to be with them. So when there is intimate relationship above and beyond the provision that the intimate relationship releases, what do you know? That's what God is looking for. He wants us to want him. We often look at him and say, we want what your hand can give to us when all the time he is after giving us himself. And we find that, as it said in Matthew 6.33, when we go after his kingdom, He, as the king in that kingdom, what do you know, everything else that we need comes flooding to us. And we might find that the things that we think we want and that we think we need actually just dissipate in his presence. So things, methods, or activities, those things are results and supporting things to the intimate relationship that should be present. So the purpose of worshiping God is two primary reasons. For us to express our love to God via praise and worship of him. Worship is first and foremost about him. And it's critical to know this because John 4.24, God is looking for true worshipers, not just worship, true worshipers who will worship him in spirit and in truth. And this means that our worship can be about nothing but about serving him and loving him. It can be about nothing else. Have you found those moments that happened for me this morning in the prayer meeting when you're just singing, you're just really singing and then it kicks into another level and all of a sudden you're engaging with him and what was just a song and the utterance and the making of sounds in your mouth becomes the testimony of your heart towards a person rather than just a thing. Our worship may start in the soul but it has to end up in the spirit. We worship him. So if our primary reason for worshipping has anything to do with us, anything that we need, it's not in spirit and in truth. And God's perspective on this, I reckon, is that he figures that you're really attempting to worship yourself rather than worshipping him because he's the genie in the lamp that you're rubbing to get what you need. Whereas when we go, I just need you, I just need you, I don't think it's wrong at all to say it would be awfully nice if you would do this as well. But we just need him. For those of you who are parents, when your children want you above and beyond the things that you can give them, isn't it just glorious? 
So he wants you to want him. So we have to deal with our motive and we've got to begin to see that we get to worship him and it is a wonderful opportunity. We should worship him with gusto. We come, we could feel it this morning. You're getting to know some of the worship songs and there's like a, oh, oh, oh. And hopefully you're enjoying those dynamics. Isn't it enjoyable? When we're all like, yeah, this is great. And when we're all doing it together, we're, yeah, you're wonderful and it's who you are. If it's just about the fact that the song's building, you've missed it. It's building up on like a step stairway to get to him. So that when he's there, we go, there you are. There, here, he's here, he's here, he's here, he's here. Oh, he's here. Because God is enthroned on the praises of his people. When we worship him together, there's this reciprocal escalation that goes up and up and up. Instead of, I can't be bored, it's too hot in here. We start to worship him and we see him for who he is. And whenever you see him, I have to say, does it all matter? The stuff that we thought was important largely fades into insignificance. And sometimes the things that we didn't even notice God points at and goes, that's where I am right there. So yet you are holy, O you who are enthroned on the praises of Israel. So we must know that our greatest need is for God himself. His presence manifests to us as the body of Christ and nothing else trumps this. C.S. Lewis said this, God made us, have you ever heard C.S. Lewis speak? You can YouTube, there's actually some recordings of him um, uh, from the BBC, and I hope this doesn't ruin your uh, image of him, but he sounds like something new, Chumley Warner from uh, Harry Anfield. Well, if you're coming to God, you need to respond like this. So I maybe recommend that you don't actually listen to him and just listen to these words. So God made us, invented us as a man invents an engine. A car is made to run on petrol and it would not run properly on anything else. Now God designed the human machine to run on himself. He himself is the fuel of our spirits, the fuel that our spirits were designed to burn or the food our spirits were designed to feed on. So really what we really want and really need is him. G.K. Chesterton, I think it is, said that every man that knocks on the door of a brothel is looking for God. Ooh, that's a bit controversial. Yeah, it is, but the root need is for him. And people will say, I don't need him. I don't want him. People are angry. I love it when there's atheists who are angry with him. I'm like, your position isn't exactly integrous. But everybody is designed to run on him and needs him. So why does God require that we worship him? Because he knows that he is the solution to our problems. He knows we need him. The provision to meet our needs is tied up in our worship of him. When his presence comes, his all-encompassing sufficiency meets our needs. So in simplicity, God has designed that we need to worship him, that we need to worship him, that it's not enough that we don't, that we absolutely need to. Psalm 92 verse 2, let us come before his presence with thanksgiving, let us shout joyfully to him with psalms. Psalm 95 6, come let us worship and bow down, let us kneel before the Lord our maker for he is our God. So if you've run out of expressions in worship, get on your knees. You can lie prostrate if you want. That seems to be the response most of the time when an angel shows up and an angel has to say, don't do that. I'm not what you should be worshipping. 
C.S. Lewis also said that if we could see each other as we actually are, we would either be a horror and a worst nightmare that we couldn't possibly imagine, or a creature that if we could really see, we would probably be tempted to bow down and worship each other. We are always becoming one or the other of those things. In the moment that we worship him, we will begin to see each other as we truly are. It's remarkable. Do you not think that when Jesus called his disciples, he was looking at them in the spirit? We are called in this church to see each other after the spirit. So ask him and he will show you in the most unlikely of places, the most incredible potential and possibility. And if you can see it, you can call it out. And you need someone who can see who you will be to call it out of you when you don't see it. Don't you? The potential that is in Nicola Gordon. Who she really is. Who God's called her to be. The light that shines from her. The draw that she has. The tools that God has put on her tool belt that she doesn't even know that she's got. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. I'm fully persuaded that God has designs on Nicola Gordon. Whether she's persuaded or not, I am. And I'm called to lead her into the reality of that. When we see each other after the spirit of God and see who we are in the spirit of God, then we're on. Then the insecurities, the frailties, the habitual sin, the addictions, the problems, the pattern of behavior, the negative way we see each other, the stuff that we really believe that we're never going to get over, don't we? Really, we're just servicing our debt here. When you see someone in the spirit, you're able to go, it's not who you are. Don't come to me with, now that would be a bit harsh, don't come to me with your insecurities, but that's what you're saying. Yeah, 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 get you've got your insecurities, but this is who you are. Oh, I never saw that. Oh, when someone calls me out and says, do you know you're really good at that? I'm like, oh, I'm really good at that. That starts to dominate what I see. Have you ever seen the picture of the rhino uh, taking photographs? <laughs> and all the rhino sees is the horn. Because it's his perspective. Most of us are staring at our insecurities, just going everywhere I look. I see my insufficiency. I see my lack. Oh, God's really good, but I'm really not. Oh, it's just awful. When someone comes and goes, let me just... <laughs> saw that tusk off. Oh, my goodness. It's like, th- this is a negative example, but if there's a blind spot when you're driving and you can't see it because it's a blind spot and you impact another car, it's a blind spot. When that blind spot's removed, you can begin to see what you couldn't see before. So would you start to call each other out for who you actually are? When someone comes to you and tells you about how awful things are and really how awful they are, call them up to who they are. And the way that you will do that is if you worship your God. See what it did there? If you worship God, get your attention back to him. When you've got your attention on him, he becomes a lens through which you see each other. Does that make sense? Okay. That was unexpected, but I hope it was beneficial. So his sufficiency, ultimately his presence is all sufficient to our need. Nothing more we do, uh, I got this wrong, nothing, there is nothing better that we can do than worship him and have his presence come among us. So we seek first the kingdom of God and all these things will be added to us.
So the identifying mark of God's people, what is it? Let me read to you Exodus 33. You can follow this along with me if you'd like to. Just begin at verse 1. So then the Lord spoke to Moses, Depart from here, you and the people whom you've brought up from the land of Egypt, to the land which I swore to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, saying to your descendants, I will give it to you. And I will send an angel before you, and I will drive out the Canaanite, Amorite, Hittite, Perizzite, Hivite, and Jebusite. Go up to a land flowing with milk and honey, for I will not go up in your midst, because you are an obstinate people, lest I destroy you on the way. The land of milk and honey, the promised land, provision, why do most men call their wives honey? Because they're part of the promised land that the Lord wants to give to them. The land flowing with milk and honey. So why not just go up? If God's offer is, all right, DCB, and I please, oh God, oh God, let it never be his offer to us. But say his offer was, okay, guys, you can go and have your fill. The land's going to flow with milk and honey, but I can't tolerate you. You're a pain in my neck, uh, so you can go and take the land, but I'm not coming with you. Does that sound like a plan? God, if only you gave me the resources that I needed to get rid of my debts. If only you would just heal that problem. All right, I'll heal the problem, but I'm not going to be with you. Their personal and natural need for the Israelites would have been nicely met. Is that what most of us want? So why did God not want to be among them? He used the words obstinate, which means fixed, unyielding, despite reason or persuasion. The Israelites were so obstinate towards God who had rescued them from slavery in Egypt for 400 years. For 400 years, there had been an alteration in their DNA which they believed that they were slaves, they were victims of circumstance, and they believed that they were rejected. There was rejection and mistrust of our authority, and don't miss it, our culture has it here too. Their hearts were hardened, they were calloused by a life of hardship and trouble, even though God had rescued them. We all bring our baggage, don't we? Most of us try to clean ourselves up. If you missed it last week at the end, it surprised me as much as you. God was communicating clearly, stop trying to clean yourselves up to come into my presence. Bring yourselves as you actually are. We all bring our baggage each time we worship God. And what must happen is that we choose to be worshippers with or without our stuff. Why? Because it's God's presence that we must have. And we know that. Do we know that? Do we know that it is his presence that we must have that will help us clean up the baggage? There's things that we will have to do, things we've got to stop, things we've got to look, like, look at, bags that we've got to leave down, stuff that we're carrying around and communicating. But do we know that we need him? Moses said to the Lord, You've been telling me, lead these people, but you've not let me know whom you will send with me. You've said, I know you by name, and you've found favor with me. If you're pleased with me, teach me your way so that I will know you and can continue to find favor with you. Remember that this nation is your people. The Lord replied, my presence will go with you, and I will give you rest. It's amazing what friends can get from friends, isn't it? Then Moses said to him, if your presence does not go with us, 
do not send us up from here. How will anyone know that you are pleased with me and with your people unless you go with us? What else will distinguish me and your people from all the other people on the face of the earth? And the Lord said to Moses, I will do the very thing you've asked because I am pleased with you and I know you by name. Then Moses said, now show me your glory. He got one thing and he started to push and it didn't seem to frustrate God either. So the Lord said to him after he'd asked, now show me your glory, I will cause all my goodness to pass in front of you and I will proclaim my name, the Lord, in your presence. I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy and I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. But, he said, you cannot see my face for no one may see me and live. Then the Lord said to Moses, there's a place near me where you may stand on a rock. Don't we have a rock to stand on? When my glory passes by, I will put you in a cleft in the rock and cover you with my hand until I have passed by. Then I will remove my hand and you will see my back, but my face must not be seen. So Moses tells God, I need some help here. I have a problem. You're saying to us there's a land flowing with milk and honey, but you're saying that you're not coming. That's not what I signed up for, and I'm not going to let that happen. It's a bit of a different circumstance, isn't it? So, Russell, I've got everything that you need. It's over here, but just I'm not coming with you. Now, Russell could go, that's all right, thanks very much, this is great. Off he runs into his land flowing with milk and honey. Now, if he comes and he says, hold on here, actually, it's not the land that I want, it's you. What does that do? What does that communicate? If this was a test, did Moses pass it? And because he passed the test, when Moses went, all right, God, so now we're, you're coming, so show me your glory. God goes, all right, son but you need to stand here because it's a dangerous thing to see me. You've got to be close to me. You need to stand on the rock, rock of revelation of Jesus Christ. Stand on the rock and my glory will pass by. You can't see my front yet. You will at some point. But at this stage, you need to just see my back. Moses wanted to know God and his ways more than the promised land flowing with milk and honey, the good life. Moses knew that the milk and the honey are simply physical manifestations of spiritual realities present in God. There's a verse, Psalm 37, 16 and 17, that says, Better the little the righteous have than the wealth of many wicked. For the power of the wicked will be broken, but the Lord upholds the righteous. I remember pondering that one and thinking, so you're saying that it's better for me to have a couple of grand than to have a couple of billion because you're the one releasing the couple of grand to me. And I remember being in the shower, sorry for the visual image, and going, it's not really what I wanted to hear, but actually, I'd rather have a couple of grand that you give me than the couple of billion that the wicked could give to me. There's an element of discontent for us where we're discontented because we don't have stuff and things or solutions to the problem. When what God knows that we need, remember the C.S. Lewis quote, is that we're designed to run on him. So instead of our demand for the stuff, our demand and desperation should be for him. And maybe, maybe, maybe 
there's more resources that he wants to give us that he can only give us when our hearts are for him first that he couldn't trust us with if our hearts were for the treasure rather than the one given it. David said, better is one day in your courts than a thousand elsewhere. I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of the wicked. What do you say? We, your people, are nobody without God's presence to distinguish us. We'll be just like everybody else on the face of the earth. And it's not acceptable that we don't have him. We're beginning to understand how we engage him and what to do when he comes. But we want to be so good at it that people are going, I was walking my dog and I started to weep. And I don't know what was going on there. That's happened for three weeks in a row. And I thought, there's something about the fact when I walk in front of that place. So I decided to come in. And when it came in, it was in convulsions. Is that just a wee pipe dream? Or is that possible reality of the presence of God? Guys, can I get you up? So what's happening here in Exodus 33? If God's people are passive about worship of him and his presence, God will not be with us. It's also about what happens to Christians when they get absorbed with themselves and what we think that we need. And we need an advocate to God. They had Moses, we have Jesus. We can come to worship him with our baggage. Jesus is our advocate and God will not deny him. We are first distinguished as a worshiper, then his presence is among us and upon us. And the result of his presence from having worshipped is that we are distinguished as a people. And people start to say, there's something different about you. There's something else going on. You receive his favor and his ways. And life flows from him to us, even as in the land of promise. So show me your glory. Remember Jerry Maguire? Show me the money. Show me your glory. Show me your glory. Is that what you want? It's okay to want the stuff, but you need to want him more than your stuff. Are you okay with that? <laughs> no, I was a good, I like that head gesture. Because everybody could sit here and go, absolutely fine with it, that's fine. I don't know, it's a bit of a struggle at times for me. Sometimes it would just like the stuff because it would be a heck of a lot easier, wouldn't it? In the long run, I'd pay a bigger price. Show me your glory. Would you stand with me? We want to build here a culture of worship, built up with worshipers. We want to invite people to come and meet with God in a way that they will forever be ruined to a life without Him. So as always, I have some questions to help you to respond. And if you can answer yes to any of these, then please come and join me at the front. Are you hungry for more? And if you're not, would you like to be? Do you want to find your freedom in the presence of God? And also, do you want to die to it'll do? Ok, that was all right. Ok, it was just all right. Sure, I've got a bit of him. Well, that changed. Do you want to begin to live to it really won't do? Unless you come and be with us, God, we will not go. So if you can answer yes to any of these questions, or you're simply desperate and you want ministry, please come and join me now at the front. You've been listening to Destination Church Belfast's weekly podcast. 
For more information on our church, you can find us on the web on www.destinationchurchbelfast.co.uk. Thank you for listening.